Maybe the best part about wrapping up this series is we're not gonna put you through that title package again. <laughs> hey, we're so glad that you're here, glad that you're joining us online, glad you're joining us after SNL, and for those of you who are watching by television, thrilled that you're here. You're in the, uh, coming in on the end of a series. If somebody just invited you to church or this is your first time to tune in, the good news is if you'll go to this website, all four of these messages can be found here along with some questions you can download. If you're in a small group and you're doing a curriculum right now and you're thinking, gosh, I really wish we could process the Breathing Room series together. The messages will be there up there for a long, long time for absolutely free. You can download the questions, talk about those in your small group because this is something we all wrestle with. But if this is your first time, let me go ahead and define what we're talking about. Breathing Room, Breathing Room is the space, the space between our current pace and our limits. Breathing room is the space between our current pace, our financial pace, our schedule pace, our emotional state. It's the space between our current pace, where we currently are, and our limits. And for too many people, there's not enough space. There's not enough breathing room. We live our life right on the limit. We live at the limit financially. We live at the limit in terms of our scheduling. We live at the limit emotionally. And consequently, there's no breathing room. And what we've said throughout this series is life is better with... Breathing room. So we've been talking about how to create space in our schedule, how to create space financially. And today we're gonna talk about how to create space relationally because here's the problem. The problem is in our effort to get the most out of life, we continue to squeeze one thing after another after another and eventually in trying to squeeze that last thing in. That happens. Now, some of you've had this happen, haven't you? You went home and you saw a single email and it was just one more email after a series of emails with that same person and you found yourself in a puddle. And somebody walked in and said, what's wrong, mom? Or what's wrong, dad? And you're like, I don't know. It was just that one last, it was just the last, it was the last straw. For some of you, you've had a financial meltdown. It was that last bump. It was that last bit of bad news. It was that last envelope that came in the mail and suddenly that was the end for you. And in an effort to cram one more thing into the schedule, one more thing in emotionally, one more thing in financially, eventually, there was a meltdown. There was a breakdown. Some of you are on the verge of this in your marriage. Some of you are on the verge of this with your kids. Some of you are on the verge of this in the critical relationships and a critical relationship in your life. Some of you've already had this in a relationship in the past and you've sworn to yourself, I'm never gonna, gonna go back there. I'm never gonna allow there to be such little space that there's no margin and consequently there's no breathing room and I lose another relationship. I lose another love of my life. I alienate from myself from my kids again. And yet you're back into those same old habits. Because as we said in the beginning, relationships thrive where there's breathing room. Relationships die when we're living at our limits because you can't be efficient in a relationship. So today, um, as we wrap up this series and we're gonna talk specifically about relationships, I wanna tell you my personal breathing room story and how I came far closer to this than I like to think about. And the part of this you don't know is that you were involved. Now, if you were here 13 years ago, I told this story. And so this is a repeat if you're here 13 years ago. Some of you were just finishing high school 13 years ago and it didn't make any sense then, but maybe it'll make some sense now. 17, 17 years ago, uh, we launched North Point. 
At that stage in my life, we had two kids in diapers and Sandra was pregnant with our third child. And for those of you who've ever launched an organization or begun something that you're excited about, it is extraordinarily time consuming. One of the things that we did is we read a book together, our leadership team by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth or The E-Myth Revisited. Some of you've read the book, it's a great book. And one of the things he recommends you do as an organization is that you create an organizational chart that represents how large you want your organization to ultimately be. And we wanted to create a church that was so big that would actually impact an entire community or perhaps an entire city. So the six of us sat down and we created this giant organizational chart. And then he said, now you put everybody, somebody has to put their initials in every single box in the organization so that everybody will know what they have to do. And then you work your way out of those boxes, which is a great strategy, except at the end of the exercise, we all had our name in about 20 or 30 boxes which meant there was a lot to do, but we were so excited. Meanwhile, I got two kids kind of waddling around as toddlers and a, and a pregnant wife who I love dearly. And without much time going by, it suddenly dawned on me that there just wasn't gonna be enough time. There just wasn't enough time. I love my work, I love my family, but there just wasn't enough time. If I stayed at work until everything got done, I would, ne I would never be home. If I stayed at home until everybody got their love tanks full and every, all my kids had their, un, I had their undivided attention and you know Sandra had enough conversation time with me, I probably would never go to work. And then during this time, as we were kind of grappling with all this stuff, we had our third child. And then we speeded up you know, our oldest child's potty training. I won't tell you about that in case you meet him someday. And then now we had one that was barely potty trained. Now we had two and diapers, and life was really intense at home. And some of you who are in that stage right now or can remember that stage, even though we kind of try to blank it out, you can remember, you remember that. And there just wasn't time. So when I'm at home, I'm thinking about work. When I'm at work, I'm thinking about home. And then to make matters worse, I just wasn't going to work. I was building the church. You know, I was doing God's will. You know, I was doing this thing that I felt called to do and impassioned about. And there was so much excitement and things were starting to grow, but things were very, very busy. Now, for those of you who've met my wife, the few of you, she is an extraordinarily capable person. In fact, years ago, we took a leadership test and she scored way higher than me in leadership. She is organized. I mean, she is efficient. I mean, she is the most get it done organized person. She has so much capacity. And so at this very, very you know, stressful time of our life, she was just taking on more and more of the responsibility at home. And her heart was, you go build that church and I'm gonna cover the thing, things at home. And I'm like, you cover things at home and I'm gonna go build the church. But there was a growing tension and being in ministry, I knew the end of that story. And the end of that story, if you didn't do something kind of drastic, the end of the story looked kind of like this, a big mess. And I'd seen it happen not only in the lives of men and women who were in business, but I'd seen it specifically in the lives of men and women who were preachers and their children. Because in preacher's world, you have this idea that you're doing God's will. And so you, you pray a prayer that looks kind of like this, Lord, take care of things at home while I do your work and build the church. And it seems so glorious and it seems so glamorous and it seems so you know, right and it seems so religious and it seems so spiritual. And it just seems like God would answer that prayer that God's gonna cover the bases and fill in the gaps at home while I go do his work and build the church. But I had talked to enough preachers and met enough preachers kids whose lives were a complete mess who walked away from the church and hated the church because they felt like their dad was married to the church to know that something had to give in our life. And the other thing was this, and I don't want you to tell anybody I said this because this could be misunderstood, but if you are part of our network of churches or watch online, you're sophisticated enough to understand what I'm about to say. Just don't tell anybody else. Here, here's, here's the thing. 
I didn't want a marriage where we were committed to marriage. See, when, when, I don't know about you, when I got married, I didn't marry marriage. I married Sandra. And when she got married, she didn't marry marriage, she married me. And we didn't want our relationship to get to the point where we are committed to staying married. Now, I think people should be committed to staying married. But if that's all you got, it ain't no fun. Because everybody shows up committed to stay in marriage. We're committed. Now, we're not enjoying it, but we're committed to stay in marriage. Now, I think there's a place for that. I just don't want to be in that place is all I'm saying. I want, to, I want her to love to hear the garage door come up, not look for something to do Why she needs to be walking out the back door and hand me the kids and leave, okay? I didn't want it to get to that. All right, I want to enjoy coming home. I want her to enjoy me coming home. And it was getting to the place where I would show up at home and she was tired and I felt like it was my fault and she was trying to you know, carry a load. And, and, and anyway, it was, things were tough. So finally, after months and months and months, and you, know, I'm, you, know, you just sort of feel that tension and you have those hard conversations and you're kind of walking on eggshells and you just, and as a man, we just don't know what to do. And again, I'm at home thinking at work, work thinking at home. So finally, finally, this culminated in one of the most important conversations we've ever had in our marriage. And I think this conversation actually resulted in the best leadership decision I've ever made. And in the conversation, I ask a question that I think she was afraid to answer. And I think one of the reasons we hadn't actually gotten the conversation to this level is because I didn't think she'd want to, she would want to tell me the truth because she's trying to be a trooper and carry her weight. And I don't want to be complaining and you're doing God's will. And you know, I'm, you know, I, I want to be able to carry the load. So finally, I, I asked her this question. I said, what does ideal look like? What does ideal look like? In other words, don't be afraid to tell me. I'm not, I'm, you're not, I'm not gonna think you're a whiner or a complainer or that you're weak or that you're not a good mom or that you're not a good wife. Just tell me. In an ideal world, what would my schedule look like? In an ideal world, how, how would this work? I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if it's realistic, but I at least need to know so that we don't continue to kind of do this dance around something that you're thinking and I'm thinking and we're both trying to do our part because it, 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 was just, it just wasn't comfortable. It just wasn't going in a good direction. Now, I'm gonna tell you what her answer is in just a minute, but I wanna talk a little bit about this tension. When we hand to our husband, our wife, our significant other, who it is, whenever we hand to our children a responsibility that they are not equipped to carry, it's like handing them a big rock. It's like, honey, I gotta go to work and I'm gonna be gone a long time and I'm gonna be traveling more than normal and I need you to carry a responsibility that I know belongs to me, but I need you to hold this for a while while I do something else somewhere else. And we all know in life, there are times, there are days, there are weeks, there might even be a short season where we have to say to our kids, kids, mom or dad has to be gone. Mom or dad has to work a little bit harder. Mom and dad's gonna miss a weekend or two. Mom and dad's gonna miss a ball game or two. And so we hand our spouse or we hand you know, our kids this load. And this load represents a responsibility we should carry that we're expecting them to carry. And you know what happens when we hand it to them? They always accept it. Because after all, I wanna be a good husband while you work. I wanna be a good wife you know, while you travel. I wanna be a good son. I wanna be a good daughter. I know that daddy works hard. I know that mommy works hard. So yeah, dad, I know you're not gonna be here for the ball game. I know you're gonna miss that recital, but I understand that I, I can carry that load. Yeah, I'm gonna miss you. Yeah, I wish you were there, but I can carry that load. And so they carry that load. 
The problem comes is when we leave them with that load and we never come and take it out of their hands. And time goes by, and time goes by, and time goes by. And they begin slowly to wear out. And there's a tension, and there's problems, and there's stuff going on. And we don't completely understand what it is. If you're, here's how you know that you've handed that load off to somebody in your family. When you're constantly repeating promises to do better, daddy's gonna do better, mommy's gonna do better, honey, I promise, honey, I promise, honey, I promise, I'm gonna do better, I know you're right, and they're crying, and you're crying, and you know you're wrong, and you know you've done it again, and you know you came home late again, and you know you overscheduled again, and you know that you prioritized somebody else over them again, and you know you did it wrong, and you promise, and you promise, and you promise, and nothing changes. And you know how we, how we justify this? Every once in a while we show up and we say, how's the rock? You doing okay with the rock? I know I've left you with that rock. Are you doing okay? Go, 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 go. You can do it, you can do it. We cheer them on, we think we've cheered them on. And, and here's some flowers, okay? Here's some flowers, you know? Hey, I bought you a, a box of golf balls. How's it going? You just, you holding that rock and then we go back off to whatever it is that we're doing. The other way that you know you've handed it off is this, chronically absent from important events. You miss another ball game, another recital, you miss another birthday. Oh no, I'm gonna be gone over our anniversary again. And the third way is you keep pointing to the future to make up for the past. It's gonna get better. It's gonna, next year, next summer, next spring, next spring break, next Christmas, next Thanksgiving, next birthday, next time, next, I know I missed it this time, I know, I know, I know, but next time, next time, next time, when it's chronic, when it's repeated, when they just don't seem to change, when you're having the same conversations about the same things over and over and over, you have handed someone in your family a burden they were not meant to carry for very long. And then eventually, eventually, their mental willingness to carry your load is overcome by emotional, and in some cases, physical exhaustion, and they drop that rock. And it's so interesting when the rock, dro when the rock drops in a family. For men, we look at the immediate event and say, what happened? All I said was pass the ketchup, and she just broke into a puddle of tears and ran out of the room. What is that? All I said was, I'm gonna be five minutes late. She hangs up the phone, I get home, she's not even there and I haven't heard from her in three days. You know what happened? All I said was, honey, I might miss, the, you know, I might not get there till the end of the recital and I mean, she was locked her room and the music's loud and she's not talking to me and, and you're not, what, what? All I said was, all I did, all I said was, all I did. What we don't understand, it was one more coat hanger and a full closet and it was the last one and somebody dropped the rock. When the rock, rock drops, grades plummet sometimes. When the rock drops, intimacy evaporates. When the rock drops, you tell your husband, look, I, I've, I've got a trip and I, I, this took me by surprise as well. And instead of seeing sorrow in his eyes, you think you might have just read, I'm glad you're going on another trip. It's better when you're not around. Now, if you haven't been there, someday you might be there. And there's nothing worse in a family than when the rock drops, because I hate to tell you this, even though I should bring you the good news, sometimes when it drops, there is irreparable damage 
Sometimes it signals the end of a relationship. Sometimes even though most of the pieces can put, be put back together, it's a little bit like Humpty Dumpty. You can't get them all quite back together. And then sometimes it takes seasons and then sometimes years to bring about the trust that was lost. When you ask someone to carry a load that you were intended to carry, but because you had something else to do, you left it with them a little bit too long. Now, I understand why this happens. And part of the reason that this happens is this, we love progress. And in the marketplace and in the industry where you work or the, the world that I work in, we love progress. And when I go to work, I can measure progress, can't you? When I come home, I can't measure progress. There's no progress, I'm just home. If I stay at work for two extra hours, I get stuff done and I can put a check in a box and I can make a call and I can tell somebody I finished something. When I go home, I'm just home. Like most of you, I can't make any extra money at home. I have to be at work. At home, there aren't any awards celebrations. I don't get, I've never gotten a trophy at home. Have you? I've never gotten a plaque at home. I haven't had everybody sit around and cheer when I walked in and bring me up and hand me something. There are no financial bonuses connected with being at home. You're just home. So I understand this. And I think this is the thumbprint of God on you. I think God who loves progress, progress in you and progress in the world and think of all that God has created. This is the thumbprint of God. This isn't a bad thing. But when it gets out of control, when your desire and your quest for progress, whether it's growing something, building something, making more money, creating a name for yourself, whatever it might be, all of which are good things, when those things begin to com compete with the fundamental things, with the essential things, and when you begin to cheat what is most important for the sake of something that's secondary, then there is a problem. So with all that as a backdrop and knowing all of that and having seen that in the lives of so many families, Sandra and I sit there and I say, what, what's, what's ideal? What does ideal look like? And, and don't be afraid to tell me. And she said, well, at four o'clock, I'm done. I'm just done. I, I don't have any energy. I gotta start thinking about dinner with the three kids. I'm just by four o'clock, no matter how disciplined I've been and how, you know, all the things I try to do to pace myself at from four o'clock to six o'clock or 4.30 to 6.30, those are the worst two hours of the day. And Andy, those, that's when you show up. You show up at six o'clock or 6.30 and I'm done, done, done. And I try so hard and I just don't have it in me. And we had a great conversation. I said, so what's ideal? She said, could you come home at four? <laughs> and I was so glad she told me. And I, she just didn't wanna tell me because she knew what a burden that would be. And so I made a decision. I, it was one of the toughest decisions I've ever made as a leader, certainly as a pastor, but I think it's one of the best leadership decisions I ever made. And as difficult as it may have sounded, there was part of this that made it kind of easy. And part of it is what I tell you every single week, week after week after week. I really believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God and that he died for our sins and that he actually rose from the dead. And I believe there were people who saw it and I believe there were people who took his teaching and spread it around and many of them wrote parts of what we would call the New Testament, which means we need to take the New Testament seriously. And in the New Testament, Peter, who hung around with Jesus a lot and Paul, who spent a lot of times with his followers, said some very specific things about marriage. And I knew that for the rest of my life, beginning 17 years ago and even before, I would stand up in front of people and say, here's what the New Testament says about how you're to treat each other. Here's what the New Testament says about marriage. 
and I taught it and I believed it and suddenly there was a brand new level of application that had come my way because I knew that the New Testament taught this. Check this out. We've looked at these verses before. Paul wrote this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is the introduction to something he's about to say to me as a husband. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit means I place myself under. Submit means I'm gonna put your deal above my deal. Submit, says Sandra, whatever you want, I'm gonna try to do my very best to make sure you have what you want and what you need. You tell me what time, I'm gonna try to figure it out. I have never been called as a man to submit myself to my career, even if my career is the local church. And therein is the tension. I've never been asked to submit myself to my desire to create a name for myself. I've never been asked to submit myself to the drive to make a lot of money or to build a big organization. But my heavenly father, through those who knew his son so well, so I said, I'm to submit myself to a person. And then he goes right to the heart of the issue. He says, husbands, here's what it looks like to submit yourself to one another and to your wife. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then in case we didn't know exactly what he was talking about, he said, and you give yourself up as, as he gave himself up for her, as Christ gave himself up for the church. Husbands, so love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church, not as you think she deserves to be loved. Husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. And what do we have to do? Well, you follow Christ's example and you give yourself up for her. You give up your ambition for her. You submit your desire for progress and all those good things that God has put in your heart to do for the sake of her. So in that moment, in that conversation, because I know these things, I've taught these things, I believe these things, I really do think there, there, there's traction and leverage to be had in these kinds of principles. I knew that I really didn't have any choice but to figure out a way to create breathing room in our marriage by placing Sandra ahead of my career, my job, which meant you, the local church. Now, I'll tell you what made it difficult. As much as I believed and as much as I loved her, and I didn't even have to do this out of reverence for Christ. It wasn't like, well, I don't really like Sandra, but I really like Christ, okay? <laughs> so I'm gonna submit myself to her for the sake. I, you know, some of you may be in a marriage, you may just have to do it out of reverence for Christ because you've lost reverence for each other. And you know something? That's a good thing to do as well because you can regain reverence for each other when you begin to treat each other reverently. I mean, it works the other way as well. But fortunately, we hadn't gotten to this. Things were teetering, okay? Things needed a little propping up, but there hadn't been a disaster. And so I still loved my wife and I thought, okay, if this is what it looks like to submit myself to you, I'm gonna figure this out. But I'll tell you what the obstacle was. The obstacle was what we talked about the first week in this series. And if you didn't watch the first one, you need to go back and watch the first one. Because we said the thing that wars against breathing room in our lives financially and in our schedule more than anything else, it's not discipline, even though sometimes it can be a discipline problem. It's not the amount of money, although obviously there are financial constraints. We talked about that last week. The issue for most of us when it comes to really creating breathing room is this word right here, fear. It's fear. It's fear. But what if I don't? And what if I don't measure up? And what if I don't show up? 
And I'm afraid of what people might think and I'm afraid of how people might interpret that and I'm afraid of how that's gonna come across and I'm afraid that people will read into that and I'm afraid that they'll think I'm lazy. I'm afraid they'll think I'm not bought in. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And none of us wanna admit we're afraid. But what drives the breathing room right out of our lives sometimes is fear. And in my case, I was thinking, how am I gonna go to these five employees that are working themselves silly and say, hey, I'm gonna leave every day at four. Good luck, see ya, I'll be the first to go, follow me. <laughs> and what happens when the people in the church find out about this? And what happens when I quit going to all these meetings and go into all these groups and when I tell people I can't be there, I can't be there, I can't be there, I can't be there, well, when can you come? I can't ever come because I'm not doing anything at night anymore. I'm gonna have our elders meeting once a month and our stewardship team meeting once a month, but I'm not gonna go to all these other things. When can you come? I can't ever, ever come till our kids are grown. That's when I can come. When our kids are gone, I can come to your house. When our kids are grown, we can have lunch. When our kids are grown, we can have dinner. How, how do you say at the beginning of the launch of an organization, especially at church, categorically, no, no. What are they gonna say? Are they gonna keep coming? Are they gonna give? Is it gonna work? God, can you build a church if I'm not working 60 hours a week? Can you do that? fear. And I remember sitting down with our staff and there were five of us, five of them, and some of them had no kids yet. And some were right where we were and some had older kids. And I said, guys, I, I feel just, I feel lazy telling you this, but I'm leaving every day at four. And if this bothers you, tell me now, if it bothers you in a month, tell me then. Well, I want us, this is an ongoing conversation, but this is the decision that I've made. And I would tell people, they'd say, hey, can you meet? And I'd say, yeah, I'll meet you at five. In the afternoon? No, in the morning. Sandra said, you can do whatever you want in the morning. I had mo mornings where I had three breakfasts. You know, you sit in a restaurant and, okay, you have to go now because the next person's here, okay? <laughs> so I, I'll meet you as early as you want, but at four o'clock, I'm getting up and I'm going home. It was so difficult. And so I remember one afternoon, I, driving home, I pulled off in the side street before I went home. I was just, it was just, you know, right in the midst of this. And I kind of made a deal with God. And I don't recommend you make deals with God. I don't, I don't model this. this is, I just didn't know what else to do because there was just so much pressure and just things to get done. So I said, God, and this sounds so silly now, 17 years later, I said, God, I'll tell you what, I can only give you 45 hours a week. I mean, that, we know that. To get, I mean, you know, I, and I'm not gonna travel and you need to know for the first 10 years of the life of our church, I got asked to do so many things and travel, but I couldn't even get everything done here. And so all the traveling was a no, just I don't travel. It would have been more money because people pay me to speak. I don't know why, but they do. And so I was just saying, so, but I said, I'm not doing that, but God, I've only got about 45 hours. So God, will you build as big and as wonderful and as awesome a church as you can? on my 45 hours a week, because you and I both know that's all I got. And I will be satisfied with whatever you place in those 45 hour hands. I just had to settle that once and for all on my way home that day. So I began to pray a different kind of prayer. And I have been saying this and teaching this, and I've talked to enough men and women in every kind of business and every kind of industry to know that there is an application even though you think there is not. So I changed my prayer. Remember this prayer that said, Lord, take care of things at home while I do your work and build the church. I turned it around and I began to pray this, Lord, take care of things at work while I take care of things at home. 
God, I, I, do you think, God, that you could possibly take care of things at work? Are you able to do that? Oh, God, who created economy. Oh, God, who created mankind. Oh, God, who's omniscient and knows everything about the past, the present, the future. Do you think you can handle things at work while I go home and take care of things at home? And the answer is, of course he can. Here's the other thing I stumbled onto during this season of, of life because there was so much learning. I've taken you know, about eight or nine months and condensed it down into just a few minutes for you. It dawned on me during those days with my kids and when they were so young and Sandra and the church was young and all this stuff going on. It dawned on me that I really only have two unique roles in my entire life. For my whole life, no matter how long I live, I only really have a couple of unique roles. One is first husband to Sandra, and second is father to my kids. That's it. Anything, I, anything else I do, somebody else can do. And newsflash, somebody else will do. There will be somebody else who does this someday because I won't be around to do it. This is not unique. My only two unique roles at this stage of life is first husband to Sandra, and hopefully only, but first for sure, and she can't get another first, okay? She can get another, but she can't get another first. <laughs> and a father to my kids, I will always be their only father. And so it dawned on me, why in the world would I trade what is unique for something someone else can do and will do? That's a bad trade. And I'd seen enough families look like this and enough relationships between fathers and sons and fathers and daughters to look like this. And I talked to too many men who were trying to rebuild and put things back together and it was too late. Because remember, you only get to go through your teens once and you only get to go through your 20s once and you only get to go through your 30s once and your 40s only once and your 50s. And you only get to do this once, which means your kids only get to be toddlers once and they only get to play a first year of baseball once and there's only one first recital and there's only one last recital and there's only one last basketball game and there's only a couple of seasons and then it's gone and you don't get to redo any of that. Why in the world? would we trade what we have that is unique for something someone else can, will eventually do. And when that dawned on me, I thought there is no way in the world I'm gonna miss that. I don't care what we have to live in. I don't care what we have to drive. I don't care how big or small the church is. There's no way in the world I wanna miss that. So here's what I would say to you. Don't trade. Just don't make that trade. Don't trade what's unique for you, unique to you for something somebody else will do. It even rhymed because I wanted you to help you remember this, okay? <laughs> don't trade what's unique to you for something somebody else will do. That's a bad, bad trade. And I can promise you this. You're gonna wanna go back and relive that. You're gonna to wanna to go back and redo that. And the only way to have those kinds of relationships is to create breathing room because relationships thrive where there is space between your current performance and your ultimate ability, your limits. Now, here's the thing, and I learned this from my dad and, and I, I'm so grateful for this. I, I mean, I must've heard this a thousand times growing up. And again, all of this was sort of the context, I think, for this that thing that Sandra and I wrestled through. And that's this, 
I knew then, then, even 17 years ago, I knew then, I didn't want to look back and wonder what would have God, what, you know, I wonder what God would have done if I had trusted him. I wonder what God would have done if I'd not allowed fear to control. I, I wonder, imagine this, I wonder what would have happened if I'd taken seriously what Jesus said. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. I wonder what it would look like to actually live as if God had that much detailed interest and knowledge of my life. What would it look like to not worry about tomorrow and to do what I know God wants me to do while I trust him to do what he's promised to do? What would that look like? And I didn't wanna look back and wonder. I wonder what kind of thing God could have done in our church if I had simply done what I was supposed to do at home and pray that he'd fill the gaps at work instead of me doing everything at work and hoping he filled the gaps at home. And here's the thing, and I, I've said this in so many different ways, and I mean this with all my heart for all of you here and those of you who are watching even for the first time. I don't want you to look back and wonder either. I don't want you to miss this stage or to get to this end of this season of your life and look back and wonder, I wonder what God might've done if I had trusted him within my 20s, if I trusted him with my early years of marriage, if I trusted him with my dating life, if I trusted him with my morality, if I trusted him with my sexuality, if I trusted him financially, if I trusted him with my schedule, I wonder what God might've done with me and through me if I had said no to that opportunity and no to that move and no to that transfer and no to more traveling. What if I had said no in order to do what I know God wants me to do in my unique roles? I wonder if God would have blessed that. I wonder if God would have done something unique. I wonder what God might've done through me. I wonder what story I'd be able to tell my kids and grandkids now if I had trusted him in those moments where somebody was gonna get cheated and I'd chosen instead to cheat my career instead of cheating my family. I mean, there are enough regrets in life that we create that are unavoidable, right? There are enough regrets in life that are unavoidable because other people create them. But why look back on this season and wonder what God might've done if you had trusted him with everything, if you had taken seriously, you ready for this? The most repeated command in all the Bible, Old Testament and New, the most repeated command in all the Bible over and over and over and over and over, fear not, fear not, fear not. That's the only way to move forward by faith. That's the only way to create breathing room. It's the only way to create the space you need for the relationships that are most important to you to thrive. And if you haven't figured this out already, let me go ahead and say it for you. You will never be happier than your relationships. No matter how much money you have, no matter who knows your name, you will never be happier than your relationships. And you will never be happier than the relationships that you have with those who are most precious to you. Why would you trade what is unique to you for something somebody else is eventually going to do? So, in your desire and in your quest to get the most out of life. Let's not lose control of our lives. Let's allow God to teach us to step back from our limits 
and to create the breathing room we need. And in that breathing room, trust him to do what he wants to do in us and through us for the remainder of our lives in this earth. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for preserving this teaching. Thank you so very much for Peter, who said what he said to husbands and wives, for Paul, what he said, that somehow reflected this, this huge idea that God loves us and we're to love each other the way that God loves us. And Father, I pray that as we process, for, I pray for our single moms, our single dads, I pray for those who are going through a divorce right now and they're thinking if we'd only heard this 10 years ago or five years ago. I pray, Father, for people who are watching their parents grapple with this and wondering how is this gonna affect me, Lord. You know our context. You know our heart's desire. You know our desire to get this right. So would you please give each of us, would you give each of us the wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard? And then Father, give us the faith and the courage to do it. And Father, I pray for the man right now who knows I was speaking right to him and his pride is welling up inside of him saying, I can't go home and admit that the preacher was right. And I can't go home and allow some other man to tell me how to run my family and run my life. Father, I pray that out of love for his kids and love for his wife, even if it's a love he has moved far beyond and forgotten and is somewhere in the rearview mirror, that you'd give him the courage to humble himself, not before me, but humble himself before you and do what he knows he needs to do to rescue the most important relationships in his life. So Father, help us to have ears to hear and Father, help us to have the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.